Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim. And that's what I want to talk about today. Growing in righteousness. Now, I understand that righteousness is a big Christian word. It freaks a lot of people out. But let me explain to you what righteousness means. As quickly and as simply as I can. Righteousness means holiness. To me, it means to live according to the standard of God's word. Period. To make it even more simple, it means to be Christ-like who upheld the standard of God's Word. He's the only person that ever has walked the earth that upheld completely and perfectly the standard of God and His Word. And so we are to be Christ-like, which means to be holy, which means to grow consistently and constantly in righteousness. People say, well, I've, I've been saved for 20 years. I'm as righteous as I can be. Well, what you are is a liar. You're fooled and you're, you're, you're deceived. Because nobody's as righteous as they're ever going to be until they're, in the eye, until they're in the presence of the perfect. And we're not in the presence of the perfect yet, amen? And so we still have to strive. We still have to grow and grow and grow in righteousness. But righteousness doesn't happen by accident. I've never stumbled on anything great. I've always intentionally sought after everything that has benefited me to any significant degree. And so we have to be people of intentionality. The people of the first century church were people of intentionality. They did what they saw Jesus do. I read you some verses in chapter 2 of the book of Acts last week. I'm going to read those verses again. But if you'll pay attention, they did exactly what Jesus did. Verse 42 of chapter 2 reads like this. They were continually devoting themselves. Can I tell you, Jesus was devoted to the work that was given to him by the Father, fully committed as a lifestyle without exception. This is who he was. That he was devoted continually to teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is Jesus' lifestyle that he devoted, himself to, he devoted himself to teaching. I tried to find some verses where it says that Jesus taught, and there's a bunch of them. And then as I'm trying to find verses to show you guys, I thought, man, maybe, maybe i just tell him to read the, the Gospels and the New Testament because literally he never did anything that he wasn't teaching something. His lifestyle taught something. His attitude taught something. Everything, not, not just when he's standing in a platform or when he's standing in the synagogue reading from the scrolls, but literally his whole life was devoted to teaching. And so that's what the first century church did. Not only was he a teacher, he committed himself to fellowship at every level. 5,000, 72, 12, 2, 1, at every level. He found some way to connect with people and to have true fellowship that's only available 
when we belong to Christ Jesus himself. This is who he was and what he did. It's the reason why we push church service. It's the reason why we push connect groups. Because we understand that to be Christ-like, we have to do like Christ did. Amen? Not only that, but it says he broke bread and was committed to prayer. Over and over and over again in the New Testament, you hear, and he went away to pray, as was his habit. We're in a 10-day time of prayer and fasting right now. Or those of us that have agreed to, to join us are. Let me tell you, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. God wants to talk to you. God wants to spend time with you. How are, you're never going to know the will of God for your life unless you pray. Unless you get down on your face and you ask God with every bit of sincerity that you can muster, God, what do you want from me? And that will change your life. God will change your life in that question. But on and on and on, he keeps going. Fellowship. He, he maintained unity. He maintained his joy because it was the joy set before him. Jesus was being persecuted, but he was still maintained his joy. This is what the first century church did. Not only did he maintain his joy and peace, but he did it all so that others might praise God. You know why we do what we do? To glorify God. You know why God does everything God does? So that he might ultimately be glorified in and through us. In and through us. And so if this is what the first century church did to mimic Christ, this is what we have to do to mimic Christ. We have to pursue righteousness. We have to pursue Christ's likeness. We have to pursue holiness. We have to pursue righteousness. All of these things are the same thing. But I want to use the word that catches in your ear. So I don't care if it's righteousness or holiness or Christ-likeness. They all mean the same thing. We have to look like Jesus. But we, we can't look like Jesus if we've never seen Jesus. If you've never taken the time to chase after Jesus, you have no idea what he looks like, what he acts like, what he did, what he expects of us. And so it's not enough for me to say, stand up here and say as much as I'd like to because it'd make my life a whole lot easier. Hey, you need to do such and such and then walk off the stage. I got to tell you how to do such and such. And that's what I hope to do today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three points that are quite possibly the simplest points I've ever given. But let me tell you, they're also the most profound points in regard to to pursuing holiness. So here's the how. Point number one. To grow in righteousness, you must read the word and do what it says. Did you hear me? I'm going to say it again because this gets by everybody. Read the word, do what it says. Read the word, do what it says. I'm intentionally being repetitive because for some reason we've determined in our culture that we don't have to read the word and if we do read it, we don't have to apply it except in the areas that it makes us most comfortable. Well, let me tell you, that is unacceptable. And it's never going to grow righteousness in you. Well, it might grow 
hypocritical righteousness in you, which is no righteousness at all. It's going to cause you to be spit out of God's mouth, but it's not going to grow righteousness, holiness, Christ-likeness in you. I told you all, hold on, it's about to get rizzle up in here. <laughs> James, verse 21, says, Therefore, therefore, because your anger won't bring about righteousness. How many of you guys are angry about what's going on right now? All around the world. I am. Can I tell you, i got a I got to squelch. I've been praying and praying and praying to squelch the anger inside of me. Because the Bible says anger doesn't create righteousness. I can't be mad enough to make you righteous. I can't be mad enough to make me righteous. Therefore, it says in verse 21, putting aside all filthiness, and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. There is so much meat in this single verse. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So it says we have to receive the word and have it implanted. Well, he's just being repetitious. He's not being repetitious. The writer, James, is not being repetitious at all. These mean two different things. You guys came to the church today with the intent to receive the word. You're going to sit down, you're going to listen, and unless you just object, what, object to what I say or reject it completely, you have received the word. But there's a difference in receiving the word and having the word implanted. Because some of us sit in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, never objecting, never saying anything, saying amen in here, filling a seat every Sunday, but because you didn't have the word implanted in you, which means to cause seed to, so that it can bear root, so that it can bear fruit, you end up leaving here and you live like hell as though you never sat in here in the first place. There's a difference between receiving and implanting. We've been called to do both because you can't plant a seed you don't get, which is the receiving. But unless you grow roots, you can't bear fruit. And that's what the Word says. I am... I don't know. Anger does not achieve righteousness. <laughs> I've had as much as I can stand. And I understand everybody's on their walk and everybody's pushing and striving and climbing the ladder and all that. But to take the word of God, say you know what it means to receive it, not reject it, and then to not live it is a slap in the face of a holy God. And you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And in the instances where I've done it, I ought to be ashamed of myself too. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings today. I'm trying to tell you the truth. The problem with the world today is nobody wants to tell you the truth anymore. Amen. And the truth is, in order for us to put away filthiness and wickedness, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I dare say every person in this room deals with something that God would consider filthy or wicked. 
And you're all, man, I just wish I could get rid of this thing. I wish I could get rid of this problem. I wish I could solve this issue. And if it's filthy and wickedness, let me tell you how to solve that problem. Receive the word, have it implanted, and pursue righteousness. You're not going to get it right today. You're not going to get it right tomorrow. You're not going to get it right the next day. Ultimately, you're going to get it right. You're going to stay right. Six months from then, you're going to be all, hey, man, you remember when I used to deal with that sin? And God's going to say, yeah, but there's these other sins that we had not talked about yet. You know, I had a guy tell me the other day, he goes, I still smoke a cigarette every now and then. I said, all right. He said, he said, I know God don't like that. I said, when God's ready to deal with that sin, he'll deal with that sin. I can't be your Holy Spirit. I'll tell you the truth about something, but I can't be your Holy Spirit. But God will put away filthiness in you and wickedness in you as you receive the word and have it then implanted. How many of you guys would love to bear more fruit than you're bearing right now? I, would. I see people like Pastor Leonard raise his hand, and I'm, I'm blown away. <laughs> people like Pastor Leonard raise his hand. He said, I like, I'd like to bear more fruit. Guys brought more people to Jesus than I've met in my lifetime and wants to bear more fruit. I said it at the beginning of the, our time together as a church, which today happens to be our five-year anniversary. So I forgot to mention that. God's so good. Um, but I, I said it, I said it then, and I think, I think a lot of people thought it arrogant, but it shouldn't be. It should be in the thought of every person who ever came to Jesus. I want to out evangelize Paul. Oh man, Paul's reached millions and millions and millions, maybe even billions of people. That's right. Can I at least not shoot for that? Can we at least not try to get that done? Because what we've been given is worth the breath in our lungs to tell somebody else about what we've been given. But that's not possible if we don't first receive and then implant. But can I tell you, that's not possible without the provocation of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it by yourself. I have spent years and years and years and had spent years and years prior to salvation thinking, man, I'm just going to get this right. I know that's wrong. I'm going to stop doing this. And then I couldn't do it. You know why? Because I didn't have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in me to help get rid of that. Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I can't recognize the truth. I can't accept the truth. I can't live the truth. And I can't pursue the truth. It's the empowerment of the Spirit of God in me, available only in Christ Jesus, that allows me, one, to receive the Word, and then, two, implant the Word. Because according to this same Word, I'm dead in my trespasses until I'm provoked by the Spirit of God. I just want us to get it right. I'd love to have a church that was just maxed out for ten services, I'll be honest with you. But I'll take one kind of scraggly-looking service full of people that are pursuing God every single time. You know why? Because that one scraggly service will get more done. Because they believe in what they're doing and they believe what God's called them to. Our pursuit should be a lifelong process. Philippians 3, 
13 through 14 says this, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me take just a moment here. It's a lifelong process. Paul says, I forgot all this stuff. I got my eye on the future. I got my eye on the horizon. Don't fall asleep on me. It's important. So many of us can't see our horizon, much less get there, because we haven't forgotten where we've been. God forgot where you've been if you've asked him for forgiveness for it. It's what the word says. Lay it down. Set it down. Do great things. You know, I believe we have done great things in five years, but I think there's greater things to be done. And so I can't spend a bunch of time talking about all the victories that we've had. I can't spend a bunch of time talking about all the failures we've had. We learn from them, we process them, we adapt to them, and then we move forward striving for the prize. This is the lifelong process of righteousness. I didn't get it right today. Get it right tomorrow. Well, I didn't get it right today either. Get it right tomorrow because God's mercy is new when? Every day. Which means I wake up in the morning, He got a brand new batch of mercy for me. Yeah, thank God because... I need it. But it has to be a lifelong process. It has to be a lifelong pursuit of righteousness. And our righteousness is available. And here, I don't, I don't use a lot of absolutes when I preach, but this is an absolute. Our righteousness is available only, that's the word of absolute, only as we are doers of that word. That's so hard. But can I tell you, that'll create such joy in your life. This verse, these verses that I read a moment ago said, but prove yourselves doer of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. This is the difference between receiving and implanting. You come to church, you look in a mirror. You walk out the doors, you forget what you look like. This is what your personal devotion time sometimes looks like. You look in the mirror, you see what you look like, you shut your Bible, you forget. You have to receive and implant that word. It says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Implanting and receiving here's where the rub is society has told you that your opinion matters 
And you've got comfortable with that. You think that truth is relative some kind of way. And when I say you, I mean us. We think truth is relative some kind of way. Relative to my feelings. Relative to my circumstance. Relative to my bills. I hear people say, well, I'm just living with my boyfriend because I can't afford to pay the rent by myself. Doesn't make you righteous. Just makes you a sinner with more money in your pocket. You're all, oh, that's tough. And if you're living here with somebody, that was for you. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm not being ugly to you. I'm trying to love you enough to tell you the truth so that you can see, be seen as righteous in the eyes of God. But the idea is the truth is not relative to our opinion. What it says, it says. Period. I got, I got my friend over here today, Raphael Visden. I appreciate you being here. Raphael spent some time together Friday afternoon, and we were talking about this particular thing, and he says, and I, and I actually got it in my notes here, Raphael, just so you know. He says, we can't break the word. We must be broken by the word. Is that good? That's good. And if you're paying attention, the word will break you. Mm. And it should break us because God breathed it. It's God's word. God created the universe and everything in it. And we think our opinion matters. Well, I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. You should be uncomfortable because growth happens in uncomfortability, uncomfortability, period. But it's God breathes. First or Second Timothy three sixteen says it like this: All Scripture is inspired by God. How much Scripture? Are you sure? Is that what your version says? It doesn't say some, or the ones that you like, or the ones that you prefer. You have preference over. No, it it says all Scripture. That means every word in your Bible was inspired, breathed by the Word of God. It may have been written by fallible man. But God moved that pen. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Well, what does that mean? That means all Scripture is profitable for telling you what is right, what is not right, how to get it right, and how to stay right. And let me tell you, I need all of those things. And so I don't have an opinion about the Word. Except to say, this is what God said. I get it wrong. I get it wrong way more often than I'd like. But you know what this word also says? That God is faithful. That I ask Him to forgive me. He'll forgive me. And when God forgets according to this same word, He forgets forever. He, he throws it into the sea, throws it behind himself, removes that sin as far as from the east to the west. He, he forgets that sin. Some of y'all, that's the reason I told you, stop, stop living in the past. I don't care who you used to be. God doesn't care who you used to be. Who are you being right now? People keep going back to God and say, God, would you please forgive me for that? For something they already sincerely asked forgiveness for, and God's all, what you talking about, man? Or what are thou talking about, man? But we have to get to a place where we understand we cannot intentionally sin. 
If the Bible says it, it's the way it is, whether we like it or not. This text, I want to read one of the hardest texts. If you want to be righteous, that you're ever going to hear. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's a rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical question because the answer is obvious. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. And this is exactly what we've done to ourselves in society today. We've deceived ourselves to believe that what we want to do is more important than what God commands us to do. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, which means people that have sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, which are fighters, swindlers, which are people that, that work schemes, will inherit the kingdom of God. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God if this is the lifestyle that they determine to live. I don't care what sign you put above your door. Well, I'm a Christian. You're not a Christian. Yeah, no, I feel good saying that. You're not a Christian if you're intentionally doing these things while saying Jesus out of your mouth. You're just a sinner that knows the name of Jesus. But can I tell you, every spirit in hell knows the name of Jesus too? You don't have the promises of eternity if you do these things. And you're all, I see some of y'all eyeballing me tough, man. But that's okay. You know why? Because it ain't my truth. I didn't make this up. I didn't write this book. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. The Word of God says if you're going to be who you're supposed to be, which is Christ-like, holy, and righteous, you have to read the Word and do what it says. I can't walk through it like a cafeteria and say, I'm going to grab a hold of this. I don't like those green beans, though, but I do like that fried chicken, so I'm going to get some of that. You have to take it all or take none of it. But let me tell you, there's an eternal punishment for taking none of it. All right. Everybody feel me? I'm a little bit passionate about this because this is what I know. I know that at the end of the day, this text tells me, this James text tells me in verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You know why I feel good about telling you this kind of stuff? Even if it hurts you? Because I know the word is true, and I want you to be blessed. If you don't know Jesus, you'd be blessed by salvation. You're the greatest blessing you've ever had. If you do know Jesus, you'll be blessed by joy and peace and love and comfort. All the things that you're all, yeah, but, well, but I, I'm already happy. Brother, you have no idea what happy is. Our God transcends all things, which means he's above all things. You don't think his spirit inside of you also transcends all things, which means you transcend all things. The world around you, 
People ask me, why aren't you mad about what's going on? I, I'm fussy about it. I'm, pers- I'm crucifying my flesh over it. But can I tell you, I'm actually excited about this moment in American history. You know why? Because it's going to prove or disprove the church. And because of that proving or disproving of the church, I find joy as great as I've ever had. Because I believe the church is going to stand strong because Jesus didn't create it to die. This time, if people will be effectual doers instead of just hearers, this time will increase the size of the church and bring more people to a gospel presentation than any other point in history. If. If we do, then we will. It's the God we serve. Amen? Number two, to grow in righteousness means to maintain a lifestyle of prayer. To maintain a lifestyle of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, one of the shortest verses in your whole Bible. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. How much time do you spend praying this morning? How much time do you spend praying last night? Yesterday, day before that, last week, last month, last year. You know, you invited, I don't particularly like this verbiage, but you invited Jesus into your heart, into your house. Which is to say you've invited God into your house. Could you imagine me inviting anyone in this room to my house? You being gracious enough to come, and then for 45 minutes, you sit in my living room and I never say a word to you. How rude would that be? But I'm just talking about one of us. If I did that to one of you. Imagine doing it to the almighty, omnipotent God. He deserves that we talk to him. And that we talk to him all the time. Now, that doesn't mean lock yourself in your prayer closet because all the, we've all got jobs and stuff, but we should keep a constant spirit of praise and worship and communication with God. All of this is prayer. God wants to talk to you. God deserves that you talk to Him. People are like, Pastor Jim, I get that, but I don't know how to pray. Probably one of the greatest questions, most, most often asked questions is, how do I pray right? Like they think that there's a formula. And I'm all, oh, well, let me tell you. First thing I would do is find somebody who knows how to pray and listen to them. That's how I learned to pray, quite honestly. Listen to Pastor Rick pray. He prays with sincerity like I haven't seen. And then I listen to a guy named Marty Cooper pray, who prays with boldness and audacity. So I learned to pray through them. But can I, can I give you some advice? There's a few ways I would tell you. First, talk directly to God. You go, well, yeah, that's what prayer is, talking to God. Talk directly to God. I want you to find your voice in prayer. It's the elder's job to pray over you. It's my job, my privilege, my honor, and my joy to pray over you. 
But you know what I can't do? I can't pray for you ceaselessly. You have to find your own voice in prayer. Find your own voice in prayer. Don't count on the people around you to pray for you. Are they praying for you? I'll tell you this staff is. These elders are. Many of the people that I know personally in this church are. But you still have to have your own relationship. I can't have a relationship by proxy of somebody else. I have to have my own. So not only do I have to do that, I have to talk honestly, confidently, and reverently to God. Did you hear those three words? Honestly, confidently, and reverently. Honestly, confidently, and reverently. People be all going up to God. All, God, I appreciate you. Thank you for making me blessed. God, I just, I just love you. I thank you for Jesus. How about stop that and go, God, I messed up today. God, I missed the mark today. But God, I trust you that your word is true. I know I've fallen short of your glory, but God, would you please restore me back to a place where where I am, I am in perfect communion with you. That's what honesty looks like, because you're not hiding anything from God anyway. I picture God sitting there on his eternal throne, twirling his eternal thumb, going, get to the meat, bro. You're not impressing me with your fake humility. You're not impressing me with your avoiding the truth of who I know you are. And that's the good thing about God. We can be honest to him because he knows us already. You're confessing something he's already aware of. You're confessing something that he was aware of before he saved you because he's not bound by time. He knew you were going to sin after he saved you before he saved you. And he saved you anyway. <laughs> what? This is where I expect most people just their mouth to fall open. Because this is, this is one of the truths that blows me away. That God did everything that he did knowing that I would still fall short and save me anyway. And for that reason, I can come confidently with a need to be reverent in fear, recognizing that he is God. And I am not. Not only talk honestly, confidently, and reverently, but talk expectantly to God. Have you guys ever prayed a prayer knowing God wasn't going to answer it? Of course not. That's stupid. Who does that? I go to my wife and say, hey, can I have such and such? I know there might be a 30, 70% chance I'm not going to get it. But I have some level of expectation, right? So can we go to God with at least some level of expectation unless you can find the promise for it in his word and then jump in with both feet knowing that anything I ask according to his will, he hears me and because he hears me, I have what I asked for. Y'all should all know this. I use this text all the time because this is literally the foundation of my prayer life. 
Let me find a promise in the Bible and let me rock that. I'm going to pray that, and I'm going to pray that, and I'm going to pray that, and it's not happening. Why isn't it happening? I don't know. Maybe I'm, my vessel's not prepared to receive that yet. Maybe I've still got a crack that's going to cause that to leak out of me. But let me tell you, as I continue to work in righteousness, as I continue to pursue God, you know what's going to happen? He's going to fix that crack. He's going to fill that vessel. He's not only going to fill that vessel, he's going to run it into overflow so that other people might get splashed by my blessing. Amen. This is the expectant... <laughs> This is how we should be expectant of God, because He is awesome. Yes, he is. is He awesome? Amen. Amen. Woo! He's not a liar. No. If He told you you can have it, you can have it. Amen. And I'm not talking no prosperity gospel. I'm just telling you the truth. Read the Word, do what it says. You know what the Word says? Word says pray. Word says, if you do this, I'll do this. Is it not wrong? Is, is it wrong for us? To say, God, I did this. You said you'd do this. Now, would you do it? Because he's not a liar. He's obligated to his word. <sighs> we could just spend more time in prayer. As Pastor Rick said in his connect group, he's doing a connect group on prayer, as he did in his little announcement. Prayer is the nerve that moves the omnipotent hand of God. That's just what it is. You want God to work in your life? How about you spend some time talking to him, ask him. I've talked to, I've talked a long time. <laughs> to grow in righteousness, surround yourself with godly people. Mm. Oh, can I get a witness? Amen. Surround yourself with godly people. I've listed three verses here. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Proverbs 27, 17, in Proverbs 27, 6. Let me read them to you. 1 Corinthians verses, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Amen. I don't have to know who you are. We've been telling our daughters this since, since they've been old enough to hear it. I don't have to know who you are. I just have to know five people you hang out with. And if you're not them yet, if you keep hanging out with them, you will be. That's the truth. Why would you not surround yourself by godly people? Because whatever five kind of people you hang out with are, be, are going to be the kind of people that you're going to become. Proverbs 27, 17. Why is that true? Because iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In addition to that, let me tell you, there's a, there's a quote, and it's, it's not a religious quote at all. Uh, but it's by Moriah Yushiba, and I think it's so true, I, I use it quite often. Moriah Yushiba was the founder of, of Aikido, and he was a bladesmith. He, he made swords, samurai swords, back when samurai swords were made the way they should be made. And he said, steel gets harder and sharper the longer you beat on it. And men fashion themselves in much the same way. Iron sharpens iron. But we don't want to sit for that beat. I wonder how many people would have showed up today if they'd known I was going to talk to you like I talked to you today because it's uncomfortable. We don't like it. We don't have to like it. We just have to be sharpened. This is, our, this is what we're called to, and we're called to be that person to other people. Because 27.6 of Proverbs says, and I've got it memorized in the NIV because that's just how the, the first Bible I ever owned. It says, 
Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but in it, but the enemy multiplies his kisses. Did you hear me? Surround yourself with people that tell you you're okay when you're jacked up. You're always going to be jacked up. Those aren't your friends. Your friends are the people that are willing to surround you and say, hey, man, we call it an intervention these days. Call it whatever you want to. I don't care what it is. You're jacked up. I've had people come to my office and say, Pastor Jim, you're jacked up. But you know what? I've given them permission to do that. And you know what I say? Well, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm all, get out of my office, man. And then, and then sometimes I, I receive it. But let me tell you, even in the instances where I say get out of my office, the Holy Spirit says, you know he's right. You have to put yourself in a place to be surrounded by godly people so that you can both be sharpened and told the truth. Let someone beat on you for a while. Because not only will they beat on you, in their beating they will prove their love to you. Because someone that loves you tells you the truth. Someone that hates you multiplies their kisses. That means it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. You do your thing, it's all right, it's all right. You You keep doing what you're doing. It's only a couple of drinks after work. It's no big deal. He needs to mind his own business. That pastor don't know what he's talking about. You have sex with whoever you want to. That pastor's lost his mind. Let me tell you, I, you surround yourself with those kind of people, that's the people you're going to be. How do we grow in righteousness? Read the Word. Do what it says. Maintain a prayer life, a constant prayer life, and surround yourself with godly people. I told you it's going to be the simplest three points I've ever made. But they're super profound. Let me lay one more profound truth on you. Because you can't grow in righteousness if you have no righteousness in you. And there's only one way to receive righteousness, and that's through Christ Jesus. Can I read you a text? Philippians 3.9. And be found in him, having no having my own not having my own righteousness from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness from God on the basis of faith so let me let me break down three small pieces of this philippians 3:9 having no righteousness of my own but through faith in Christ based in faith i can be righteous the Bible tells us in Romans 3, 23, all have fallen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But before that, it goes on and on and on and on about how none of us are righteous. Except that Christ Jesus gave us his righteousness. And so I would ask you, have you given consideration to the moving of the Holy Spirit on your life? Oh man, I want to do right. You can't do right outside of relationship with Jesus. And this is going to sound counterintuitive, but I don't want you to have Jesus just so it makes you feel better about doing right. I want you to have Jesus because Jesus loves you. Because Jesus laid his own life down for you. And the product of that relationship is that you will become right. Never seek the product over the person. Seek Jesus. 